From the Financial Times in New York, I'm Andrew Edgecliffe-Johnson, and this is FT News. It's been five months since Hurricane Maria slammed into Puerto Rico, devastating an island whose economy is already struggling under an untenable $120 billion of debt and pension obligations. The strongest storm to hit the U.S. territory in a century put Puerto Rico's governor, Ricardo Rosselló Nevarez, in a uniquely challenging position as he tries to balance the urgent need to restore power and water to his people with the demands of bondholders and his efforts to appeal for funds from Washington, where the island has no representatives in Congress. Some money has already come in, in the form of immediate aid from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, and from a budget appropriation for disaster relief known as a supplemental. Mr. Rosselló has also announced a plan to privatize the island's aging utility company, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, known as PREPA. Now his administration is shifting gear, trying to attract new investment from the corporate world. At an FT conference in Manhattan that was packed with business representatives in the audience, I asked him for an update on conditions now in Puerto Rico and a reconstruction plan his government is branding Building Back Better. Thank you. Can you give us just a, just a snapshot of where the island's recovery now stands in terms of infrastructure, particularly the power supply, and in terms of population? How many people have left? So, so in terms of power supply, today we're at 79.56% of clients with, with energy. It, it's sort of a three-prong approach. First is the transmission effort, which yes. was the, the initial one, and it's uh, you know, essentially the most important one uh, to get right. Then the distribution, which is the ongoing one, and then there's what's called the last mile effort, which is getting to the, uh, to the last uh, components. But our objective is uh, within the next month to, to reach 90, 90 plus percent, and that would establish uh, some normalcy. In terms of, of how many people have left, you know, it's, it's really hard to say. Our, our estimates are anywhere from 200 to 300,000. What we're waiting for is for child enrollment in schools. That'll give us a more robust indicator of, of how many folks have left. Now, in the budget proposed by Washington just in recent days, there's $9 billion, I believe, allocated for Puerto Rico, $2 billion for, for right. power grids in both Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. I think you asked for $94.4 billion. Tell me what you make of Washington's response so far. Well, well first of all, might seem counterintuitive, but I'll, I'll explain it. I think this, this is great news for Puerto Rico. When the hurricane came through Puerto Rico, uh, we have to be reminded that Texas and Florida had already been hit by Irma and by Harvey. So there was a process started already in those other jurisdictions. They were already sort of ahead in the uh, damage assessments. And the, I guess the message that we were getting from Washington is, you know, these states are ahead of you right now, so we'll attend to them first. And then we'll, we'll get back to Puerto Rico. Unfortunately, you know, there, there is a little subtlety that they, we all have to be aware of. Uh, Puerto Rico does, doesn't have voting members in Congress. Uh, so being left out of a supplemental with the promise that eventually it was going to be attended to uh, was not very satisfying uh, to me. So we decided to do the following. Uh, we called upon different stakeholders. We focused all of the efforts in our government to get proper damage assessments as quickly as possible. We uh, looked for non-for-profits uh, so that we can make this Build Back Better document that's $94.4 billion in, in, uh, in estimate. About 37 of those billion are already uh, FEMA dollars, public assistance that's already sort of established there. So we're really looking at around $60 billion for the Building Back Better. 
December 20th, Congress passes a bill that's $81 billion, the House, I should say, includes no money directed for Puerto Rico. Obviously, Congress has their battles, uh, and it wasn't seen in the Senate. In that time, everybody in our administration came to Washington and established the need for Puerto Rico. And I said, different from Florida and Texas, for example, Puerto Rico is in a fiscal crunch, so we're going to need some initial seed funding, and this is what we need, and here is how we're going to use it. So, lo and behold, we got a supplemental passed, and it's a total of $16.5 billion directly assigned to Puerto Rico, which helps significantly both, you know, the economy and, and of course, uh, our financial consideration. So, on top of uh, $30-some billion, that, and then remember that these packages include about $47 billion of funding that Texas... Uh, Florida and Puerto Rico are essentially going to divide up, hopefully, <laughs> in equal terms. Now, one of the biggest decisions you've made in, in these recent months is to privatize PREPA. Tell me what is going to persuade a utility company or a, or a current operator to bid for PREPA, and, you know, to, to believe that it can make money from this transaction. The opportunity gap, the margin of cost in Puerto Rico versus the opportunity of what it actually costs to produce a kilowatt hour it's significant. In Puerto Rico right now, PREPA spends over 60% of its budget on buying expensive fuel for inefficient machinery that is 50, 60 years old. So not only are we going on a path to asset selling, which there are assets that can be better, more efficient, but it's really the opportunity to generate energy in Puerto Rico, driving down the costs for the consumer and for industry in Puerto Rico, and at the same time having a margin for, for profit. You know, if you go to Florida and you want to do renewables, it is at a cost to the consumer because renewables are more expensive than the average kilowatt hour uh, for, for the citizen in, in Florida. So when you make that decision, it is a policy decision that you want to go to renewables. But in Puerto Rico, it's actually not only a, a, a policy decision to be with clean energy and so forth, but it's also an economically viable decision because... And what we're talking about now, the average production of kilowatt hours on these renewables is still far below the average kilowatt hour in Puerto Rico. So I think it, what I would say is that, you know, it's not just handing over what we have to, to somebody else or, you know, dividing it up. It's, it's essentially putting a model forward of where we want to be. And that model provides an opportunity for investors, for companies to make a profit, but more importantly, to drive down the cost significantly for the consumer in Puerto Rico, which will also help uh, the economy and, of course, help Puerto Rico. What is your message to bondholders at the moment? What are the principles driving your, the way that the different class of bondholders will be treated? Right. Well, first of all, my, my main focus right now with, was with the fiscal plan, in general with, with the fiscal plan. And we submitted a fiscal plan about, about three weeks ago where... Even implementing cost-reducing measures, even putting structural reforms, we are still at a gap of about $3.4 billion. So even though it is not our job to say bondholders, you will have X part or Y part, that's, that goes to Title III, it is our job to make debt sustainability assessment within the fiscal plan. Now, 
with more capital coming uh, to Puerto Rico, uh, that, of course, is better for all stakeholders, not only for bondholders, also for the average citizens, for companies, for anybody that wants to rebuild in Puerto Rico. So even though I, I really can't go into details because this is, this is going to restructuring court, of course, uh, my message is that, that there has been a positive shift, in my view. Plan still needs to be certified and, and numbers need to be validated. But there has been, a, a, in general, a positive shift by us having actual resources that we can work with and that we can start rebuilding and making some of these changes. Right. Tell me about your discussions with multinationals at the moment. Clearly a big part of attracting yeah. that capital is going to be getting big companies to the island. You know, I think if we were t- sitting here 10 years ago, we would have been talking about tax as the, you know, a huge attract- attraction to multinationals. What now is going to bring in the next wave of multinationals? Well, one of the things that we've, we've seen is that there are, there are a whole host of parameters that, that multinationals care about, right? Uh, as you clearly stated, taxing is just one of them. So even though we feel that uh, the um, federal tax reform did hinder Puerto Rico, and uh, we feel there are other areas of, of opportunities. I, I can say that for some multinationals, you know, the first or second criterion is, is energy. So by doing energy reform, you are uh, helping drive in more, more folks over, over to Puerto Rico. Of course, for others, is regulations and the ease of doing business in, in, in Puerto Rico uh, as well. But what we've seen is that the way we, we get this to work is by working with each one of these big multinationals and showing them that in Puerto Rico we can provide the human capital that's highly trained and, and highly qualified, that we are on a path forward to uh, stabilizing some of the the key concerns of uncertain, you know, uncertainty uh, within the future, uh, dropping down energy costs, and essentially trying to mitigate what could be the, just uh, a tax strategy for Puerto Rico. Yeah. At the end of this process, do you think uh, we will have a different approach to Puerto Rico's status? Will you have the same representation uh, within your time in office as uh, Texas and Florida? Well, uh, it is the big elephant in the room. We've been arguing this for, for, for centuries, but if... Maria and these disasters showed anything is that the response to Puerto Rico, the actions that needed to be taken for Puerto Rico, it was always harder for us. Nothing was given. Nothing was assumed. Everything had to be uh, sort of battled through, and it's because we don't have political power. So when it comes down, if, if you've seen the recovery and if you're somebody that thinks that the recovery was different than in other jurisdictions... And you need to ask yourself why. If you go a, li- a step further and feel that uh, Puerto Ricans are treated as uh, second-class citizens, you need to ask yourself why. And uh, when it comes down to it, and when you see why there's a difference in program funding for Puerto Rico relative to other states and relative to other citizens, you need to ask yourself why. And, and the answer is, is straightforward. Puerto Rico is a remnant of a world that was a, a colonial world. And uh, Puerto Rico is the oldest, most populated uh, colonial territory, you know, in the world. And, and it is my view that it is not only a problem of Puerto Rico, it is a problem of the United States, and it is a problem for the world. How can you preach democracy if it's not being addressed in your own backyard? And it's just a, a matter of fairness uh, and, and, and equal treatment. So I will do all that's within my power. But I would add that for the first time, and maybe because of Maria, many folks in the United States are aware that, that we are U.S. citizens. They did not know it in the past. We, we measured it. About 20% of 
U.S. citizens in the mainland knew that we were American citizens. Now about 90% do. So it is a significant shift. And if they feel that there is a difference, I think that that gets the needle moving. My commitment is to make sure that happens because it is part of the narrative. It is part of the story. We've gotten some things, but this is a long haul. And the only way we can ensure you know, that the proper actions are being taken for the people of Puerto Rico is to have proper representation and to have equal rights. On that note. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.